these are elite level skills that people want in order to be more successful in business or in their personal relationships. Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, Ziggler CEO and proud son of the legendary Zig Ziggler, Tom Ziggler, and I bring you back for a second time on this show, Jordan Harbinger, the rock star podcast legend who hosts the Art of Charm podcast, one of the top podcasts on planet Earth, literally. Here's my pitch on Jordan's message, which I'm a huge advocate of. How to Win Friends and Influence People was written by Dale Carnegie in 1936. It's one of the all-time business classics and bestsellers. You'll find very few world leaders and influencers who don't cite it as a primary message that helped enable their success, just like with Zig Ziglar's See You at the Top is another. Well, Jordan's primary focus at the Art of Charm is social skills, those personal relationship skills that Carnegie taught so long ago, but have become very much a lost art. There's arguably nothing that impacts our lives for better or worse than our social skills, nothing more. Yet, when and where are they taught? Really nowhere, unless you were fortunate enough to have parents like mine, God bless them, who had me read the book at an early age and took me to Carnegie classes. I now, as a father of a bunch of kids, have them read that book and write on that book. It's that powerful. This is what Jordan is bringing to us in today's day and age. So in this show, we drill down on the necessity and opportunity of social skills. There's, again, nothing you have more control over, can take action on quicker, and will produce greater results in your life period. Make sure you find Art of Charm where you listen to podcasts and subscribe to it. And you can check out all that Jordan is doing at artofcharm.com. And folks, when you get a huge value bomb, which you're going to get out of this show, please let us know and give thanks to the to Zig and the Ziggler family by giving us a review in iTunes. It's the best thing you can do for us. All right, ready, set, go. All right. Well, Jordan, it's been well over two years since our first interview with you and you and uh, the art of charm has just gone through the roof, grown dramatically. What do you, what do you attribute the success to AOC from other than, you know, your amazing charm? Sure. Yeah. I wish it was just that, you know, it was funny. I was talking earlier today to somebody and they were like, Oh, how do you promote your podcast? You know, you've doubled every year for years and years. And some years we've more than doubled. I mean, early on when the numbers are smaller, you can go from eight to 24 and you've tripled your show, but it's still small right. now though, to go, you know, looking at the downloads as they stand this month, they're going to be like 3.8 million. Wow. You can't keep doubling. I mean, you can maybe, but I don't really know how to keep uh, at that pace, but I'll tell you it's, it's one brick at a time. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but in today's day and age with all kinds of, Oh, you need to do this to rapidly scale or this, you know, is a shortcut or you can do uh, paid acquisition and this will just, da, da, da. there's, all of these things that I think, okay, now we're throwing gas on the fire. You see the graph go like up this little tiny little bit. And you're like, all right, the next thing's going to be an explosion. And it's like, beep, you know, like you can, you're like squinting at the graph going, wait, is something broken? And it's, it's just, nope. You just need a hundred more of those this year. And you'll, you know, then you got to start over next year if you want to keep growing. And it's, it, you for us, I gave up on this is going to launch us into the stratosphere that I haven't said that and not been kidding for just, you know, half a decade. I have given up on that happening overnight. It's now the game of inches. It's now trench warfare for every 
thousand downloads per episode. And if I can grow the show every single week to get one, 2000 downloads more per episode than the last week as a moving average, fine. That's yeah, fine. I'll take it. I'll take it. Consistency over this thing worked and then nothing's worked for eight months and now I'm panicking. Okay, this thing, I, I just, I'd rather have the consistency. And so for me, it's really just been one brick at a time. All the genius marketing ideas and social media stuff and paid acquisition, it's still, it's, it's still really just a slow growth. And frankly, the game with growing a show or a business in general that revolves around content creation like the Art of Charm podcast does, one thing that I have realized recently is that it's more now about, I guess, stopping any bleeding that you would get, attrition, Hmm. um, unsubscribes, than it is about getting new people. When I first started doing the show, well, uh, forget about that. That was too long ago. It was 11 years ago. When I first started looking at other people doing shows to make money and turning it into a business instead of a hobby, I remember looking at somebody's, there was a guy out there who was posting his statistics for everyone to see, one of many now. And it was like, oh my gosh, he's got 20,000 downloads per episode. I only have eight. I'm so far away from this guy. He really knows what he's doing. And then I checked again a year later and I was like, I'm creeping up on this guy. He's Mm -hmm. still got 20 and I've got 16 now. And I was just thinking maybe he forgot to update his page. And then a year later I went, oh, I've got 28 and he's got 25. So I sort of passed him. That's kind of weird. And then the next year he had 30 and I had 40. And then the next year he had 30 still and I had 50. And then next year he had 35 and I had 70. And now I look at the same guy still posting his stuff and I go, you've got 50,000 downloads per episode and we are, you're not even anywhere close. You could triple in size and we'd be leaving you in the dust. How did that happen? And these guys are better marketers than we are at the Art of Charm. So the only answer I can come up with is massive amounts of unsubscribes. And the reason is because they focused a lot more, and a lot of people do this, they focused a lot more on marketing the show and marketing the business and marketing the products than they did about putting good content inside it. And so if Art of Charm, and these numbers are completely made up now, if Art of Charm gets a thousand new subscribers, I might keep 900 of them. Mm. But if that show gets 1,000 new subscribers, they might keep 100 or not even any of them after, you know, let's say 90 days. That's a huge problem because you literally at that point have to then talk to millions more people who are already willing to download and listen to a podcast than I do. You have to talk to 10 times as many people as I do to get the exact same number of people engaged. And that I noticed is something that if you do the math and you scale out to the millions of English speaking people that have internet connectivity, you just run out of people if you're trying to hit the right goal. So then the only thing that can scale up is the quality of the content that retains people and keeps them listening for longer. And frankly, that's just a lot harder to build than, uh, and a lot harder to do than it is to just swipe a credit card and buy 10,000 more Facebook ads every day. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're hitting us with uh, the old adage, the most profitable person to sell to is the one you've already sold to. And you right. have such loyalty. Matter of fact, I was telling Tom, cause he was saying, yeah, we've gotten you know, a bunch of new um, uh, reviews on iTunes recently. 
And I said, yeah. He said, if you do anything intentional? Yeah. I said, yeah, I'm doing what uh, Jordan does and asking for them for one. But that's what blows me away about your show. You guys have, last I looked, over 10,000 reviews. It's five-star. The loyalty and the testimony to your content and to the need is dramatic. It's inspiring. Well, and it's what I want to talk about today. And I, sure. I really wanted to jump off the board talking about this word social. So I, I'm a words guy. So the, the dictionary says social is relating to society. And this takes us to ground zero, regardless of our age, race, gender, creed. How do we relate to others? And I'm curious with you, this is your livelihood. What do you see happening in the culture regarding this, the, the relating to one another here, here in America? How are we doing? Yeah, I, it's really easy to rant and rave and say, oh, people today, the kids these days, millennials are lazy and everyone's a jerk online. And, and to, to an extent, maybe there's some truth to everyone's a jerk online, especially nowadays. But I, I think really there's, without getting political, there's a lot more discourse now than I remember my parents ever having. And when I talked to, I talked to Admiral McRaven recently, the guy who ran the, the, the Bin Laden mission, brilliant guy, super smart. And he's really confident that the world's in good hands with millennials at the helm. And, and he also was pretty surprised by the level of political dialogue, not the, uh, not the manners involved in the political dialogue, but the, le- the amount of political dialogue and things like that in the country. And I would say that now, Millennials, and, and I'm talking about people my age and slightly younger. I'm 37. I think millennials started about my age. It, it sort of depends on which website, you know, with generational right. definitions you're looking at. But 37 and, and, and under, we care a lot more about things like social justice and change and networking and relationships. So it's really easy to go, everyone's looking at their phones and nobody's connecting in real life. And it's kind of just not true. Uh, it really is not. There might be a safety issue in neighborhoods because people aren't as close or things are more global or people have more mobility. So those personal relationships might not be as strong, but they're certainly larger in number and people have closer relationships. And there's some data that shows that young people feel isolated now. But I bet you that if you did that study when our parents were teenagers, you would find that people felt isolated back then Two, they just didn't have mobile phones either. They just felt isolated for different reasons. Right. I think some of that is just our ability to measure things doesn't mean that they weren't there before. And that's, again, a hypothesis that has yet to be studied. But when I think of things like social, I think now people are looking to resources like your show, like the Art of Charm podcast as well, to learn social skills. To And I don't mean which fork to use at the restaurant. I mean, building relationships, networking. If you had had a guy like Zig Ziglar in 1860, everyone would have been like, I don't care about anything you're saying right now, right? They, we were able to get those bits of wisdom and those great ideas because people didn't have to worry about where they were going to get their next meal, right? So since the country is now in this sort of postmodern era where we can enjoy a lot of basic survival things and, and take them as granted or for granted, depending on who you ask, we're allowed and able to focus on things that are now also in a different place on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which are, oh, I can focus on having a fulfilling career. If I told my dad, who was an auto worker, that, you know, well, why didn't you pick a different career that was more fulfilling? He would have gone, are you kidding me right now? I'd, that was fulfilling career. I had a job for 30 years. I don't need to worry about if it, how rewarding it felt every day. I mean, get a life. And when I told him 
things like, uh, oh, I don't really know how rewarding it's going to be being a lawyer. He, he didn't say something like, well, you just have to the grind and do it. I mean, he wanted me to be happy. But at the end of the day, he, it was much more important for him to make sure that I had steady employment. And same thing for him. So when I look at the, the idea of social uh, acceptance or social skills and relationship, r- relationships, rapport, networking, those kind of things, those ty- kind of skills, we value them a lot more than we used to because we can, because we can devote energy and resources to them. So I think that now is a pretty good time to be around, regardless of what you think of the current state of dialogue, discourse, political situation here. It's a great time to be around because we can actually afford to worry about stuff like, man, I feel like I'm not making the right relationships and surrounding myself with the right people. That was not a 1980s worry at all. That so here so on that on social I'm gonna stick here for a second. Here are some terms. Uh, it's some of these I got reviewing your website and your products and your offerings. You know, social skills, social abilities, social capital, social awareness, social nuances. You am I correct? And you summarize these somewhat into emotional intelligence. Yes. Yeah, emotional intelligence is a great overarching term for a lot of the stuff that's taught at the Art of Charm. But I want to separate it and, and, and mention that it's, it's not remedial. Again, not which fork to use at the restaurant, not, oh, don't interrupt people when they're talking. These are elite level skills that people want in order to be more successful in business or in their personal relationships. So when we have, I'm wearing this Ranger shirt. I don't know if y'all can see that. Nice. Um, I went to the second battalion and we taught networking and relationship development. And people think, why do soldiers need this? And the reason is because if you're teaching, especially when we look at units like the Green Beret and and things like that, if you're interfacing with local counterparts or uh, civilians or transitioning, you need these types of skills. They're just as valuable or debatably as learning how to shoot straight because these are the skills that we need now in a modern military intelligence capacity in order to, to succeed in the mission at hand. And that goes, that's exactly and equally as true for somebody who says, well, I'm not in the military. I work from home and I sell widgets. You still need these exact same skills in order to succeed and in order to build the right kinds of relationships, which allow for opportunity and surround yourself with the right kind of people. And I think a lot of folks really, they, they don't want to face this because they think, well, I really don't know how to do this. And so I'm going to just keep my head down and get good at a technical skill or this other craft. And in classic case in point, a lot of the people we see coming through the Art of Charm, uh, our live programs in LA range from, of course, military special operations to civilians uh, and especially software engineer types because these are highly technically skilled folks and sales engineers, of course, they're highly technically skilled folks that come through and then say, all right, I'm 40, I focused on, or 45, I focused on these technical skills, I'm at the top of the game technically, I can no longer scale really in that area. Every improvement that I make in my skill set as a technical whatever is now a game of inches, but I've ignored all of these soft skills for so long because I was worried that I couldn't learn them, didn't know what to do, was nervous about it. That's where the room for growth is. And we also see that when people are starting careers, if you're 26 and you just graduated or 24 or whatever, the only way to differentiate yourself is through soft skills, emotional intelligence, social intelligence. Then 
it, and people kind of get that in the initially and they work hard and they, they go through that. And then there's this like two decade long middle management type of experience where people don't know what the heck is going on. It's just a mess of hopefully learning something and trying to stand out somehow through your work product. And then you get again to the top and you realize, oh, the C-suite is full of people who have mastered these soft skills. Well, where did they master those soft skills? They mastered them throughout that middle process. So we see that in the beginning of your career, social skills, soft skills, and social intelligence matter a lot. And then at the top of your career, at the end, or before you retire at the top of the game, they matter a lot as well. So in the middle, either they don't matter at all and all you have to do is focus on technical stuff or they still matter and nobody's talking about it. And that's kind of what we've discovered at The Art of Charm is that they're always important. It's just that there's a certain time in your career or in your business, if you work for yourself, that you just sort of put all these things to the wayside because you don't have a plan. And that's really unfortunate because if you ignore these skills, you're just being willfully ignorant of the secret game that's being played around you. And that's super dangerous. You can't get away with that for long. Well, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I was just I was just going to jump in because I when I do workshops and seminars and keynotes, one of the hypotheticals I put up there, I, I say if you're a leader and you've got to hire a person and you have you can only choose between these two, the person who loves people and really knows how to communicate and get along well and understands culture, but they have no technical skills, they know nothing about the job specifically. They're a great learner, but they don't know it. And then the other person who has 20 years of industry experience, they know where all the skeletons are, they can speak code, they know everything, but they don't like people. And you've got to put your top accounts in the hands of this person that you hire. Which one do you hire? And without fail, everybody says, oh, we'll hire the people person. And so here's my question on that. Uh, People who get labeled as they don't like people. Do you think it's because they don't like people or because they feel so socially awkward that we just tend to stay away from things that we're not good at anyway? I mean, I don't, there's games that I like to watch, but I would never ever do because sure. I'm not good at it. So what's your take on that? Cause you've, Absolutely. I I know exactly what you're talking about. The people who say like, oh, I'm not a people person um, or, oh, that's John. He's not a people person. How many kids do you know that are not people people? I think like zero barring certain, you know, cognitive or social dysfunctions, things like that. Let's let's not let's leave like autism and things like that out of that. And even then, it doesn't mean they don't like people. It just means they have trouble interpreting certain signals has nothing to do with their their like of it. So if you see an adult that's not a people person, usually that's self-inflicted. And that label is often there because somebody didn't either didn't grow up in an environment where that was valued, um, didn't put the effort into it or didn't have the opportunity to learn it and is not focused on it since. So now they're not a people person, but they weren't born that way. Introverts don't have some sort of medical excuse for not being able to do this. Uh, A lot of people who are listening to this might say, I'm an introvert, I can't do this. Actually, introverts, new science has shown very disappointingly for many introverts that introverts are better in groups and in communication because they listen to what other people are saying. They think before they speak. They consider others' feelings before taking action. These are, those are likable skills, right? That's, that's what makes someone a nice, good people person. So if you're introverted, 
it probably means that as much as it's paining you to realize it, you're a people person. You just don't love doing that all of the time, but it doesn't make you any less capable. In fact, a lot of introverts, they think I'm really not a people person because the people I know that are people, people like these outgoing sales guys that speak all the time. They don't like those people because they're too overwhelming. They don't Mm -hmm. listen. They're not a fan. So they think I don't want to be like that guy. So I'm not a people person. No, you are. You're just more likable than he is. You don't have to be the same way to get the same or similar or better results. And so you're right. I, obviously, you've looked at the data, Tom, and you've seen that people w- would more willingly hire that. You can hire for technical skill much more more so than you can hire for those types of soft skills, generally speaking. If you don't believe me, look at any sales organization and tell me whether or not they'd rather train someone from zero to be a good salesperson or whether or not they filter in the right kind of person. And you'll see they filter in people because it's harder to teach these soft skills than it is to just find the one in a hundred who can hack it and then build them from there. And we teach those types of skills here at AOC. And it's not easy, but it is necessary because for the other 99 people who didn't come out and, and grow up in that environment, what are they supposed to do, right? What's the software engineer at Amazon who's making four grand a year but keeps getting passed up by people he hired? What's that guy supposed to do? You know, we've got to get that training somewhere. And so that's what we're doing. Well, and and that's, that's my exact question here. So this is interesting. As I'm going through your stuff, I'm old enough to know the term finishing school. So again, uh, words, words, yeah, I know. You know Talk ancient, about forks. I know. Yeah. Wikipedia. <laughs> so this is Wikipedia. It says finishing school is a school for young women that focuses on teaching social graces and up, upper class cultural rights as a preparation for entry into society. The name reflects that it follows on from ordinary school and is intended to complete the education with classes primarily on deportment. I'd look that up. That's a person's behavior or manners. Never and, heard of that. Uh, yeah. Thank deportment, uh, behavior or manners, etiquette, uh, with academic subjects, secondary. I'll come back to that. It may consist of an intensive course or a one year program in the United States. It was sometimes called charm school. So, uh, you know, in charm, I'm sure you know, this one, you know, is the power or quality of giving delight or arousing admiration. I love that. But my first thought when I looked at that is yeah, exactly. Where do you go? Where does anybody turn to, uh, I mean, I used to cite, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And of course, Ziegler teaches that, but today it feels like, I mean, you're it, which is one of the things that drew me to you. There's not a place for people to go and get this kind of training unless I'm missing something. No, I, I loved the idea of going to, I looked high and low for some sort of finishing school, some sort of this, that, and the other thing for, for guys. And what, what I found were Dale Carnegie classes and seminars and things sure. like that. And I took those and they're fine. But what I realized after a very short while, and I took basically everything they had on offer and I liked the teachers, they were great people. But at the end of the day, a lot of what it came down to was how to remember names and firm handshake and good eye contact. There were a few other skills there, helping people get what they want and not, you know, not asking for anything in return. Those are great concepts. But here's the cold truth. If you're selling $2 million computer infrastructure systems to enterprise clients, they're not taking the deal from somebody else. They're, you're not getting passed up for promotion in your organization you're not having trouble creating a network around you for your business because you don't have a firm handshake and good eye contact. I'm sorry, you're not. There's something else going on that no one was talking about 
for the reason that you were less likable, desirable, or lower on the totem pole than somebody else. And nobody could explain what that was. And certainly not somebody in a sweater vest at the YMCA teaching a class after work once, once a week. It just, that's not realistic. Okay. It wasn't because you forgot that their kid likes tennis. That's not why there was something else going on there and nobody was talking about it. Nobody was talking about your rate of speech, your body language, the way that you sit, stand, walk, and talk. Are you too close to people physically when you approach them? Is there something else going on? Are you acting needy in a certain way? What's going on? What are you doing or not doing that's usually expressed by some sort of insecurity that you built 10, 20, 30 years ago? What is showing up that's causing other people to move away from you instead of towards you physically or metaphorically? That's what we need to figure out and that's what we need to fix. Because you can have a great handshake and you can have firm eye contact and you can remember everything about my kids and my cousin's kids for that matter, but it's not going to get you anywhere if everything else is a mess. Or or frankly, if you're a, a B-plus player and you're a really likable guy, but somebody else is just just magical in terms of that that charisma, I want to be around that more. So you're going to lose to that person. And unfortunately for you, if you're selling... $2 million enterprise level computer services, there's going to be somebody there with that level of charisma and charm because it pays. So either it's going to be you because you're going to put in the work or you're going to lose deals to that person or your business is going to lose to somebody else. I didn't start off being a broadcaster. I was a quiet, nerdy law student and a lawyer after that, okay? This is stuff that you can develop and it's not about adding layers onto your personality. It's about what we call the subtractive process, which is getting rid of a lot of the insecurities and hangups that people have because then that's when you can actually be a little bit more, and I hate this word, but authentic. And that's really a magical place to be. And um, the, the things that I'm sort of hinting at with the, the subtractive process are, uh, I, I had dinner with a friend of mine and his wife, and this they're in their late 60s, okay? And she said, you know, she's got this great business and everything, but she just hates selling her product. She believes in the product. What's the problem? It's not that she doesn't believe in it. It's a product that's great. She loves it. She created it. She feels bad asking for the business. That's not because she doesn't know how to close a sale. It's not because she doesn't like the product. There's something going on, you know, in her psyche that's developed over years and years and years that says, well, I shouldn't ask people for things because, when I grew up as a female in the 50s and 60s, that was considered improper to be pushy and follow up and da, da, da. so I'm just not going to do it. You can't tell her, here's 10 closing scripts from the best of the best. That's not going to matter. You have to get rid of that other hang up first or it's never going to work. And that's an example of the kind of thing that we're going to subtract uh, when we're when we're teaching somebody, for example, or on the podcast, for example. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, you know, heavily involved in the wellness industry, which the focal point there is traditional medicine comes around, focuses on the symptom, gives you a drug for that. We manage illness and disease as opposed to mm -hmm. getting to the root cause. And that's what I hear you talking about getting to the root cause. What is causing? Well, and you talk about insecurities and I haven't really thought about it. I mean, this is personal development. That's my arena as well. But as you talked I'm thinking we look at insecurities and think those are bad. And we look at, you know, being charming, compelling, charismatic attraction, that that's, that that's good. And it seems like this, and I know people, you know, get waylaid by feeling like that's a way to manipulate people. And we know it's not that, but we're talking about, are we talking about insecurities? If I feel somebody's insecure, I am, I don't trust them. 
I mean, ultimately, is yeah. that where we're landing? And this this aspect of being able to relate social is, I mean, we're talking about, aren't we talking about a game of trust? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, friends, that question right there on trust is a big one, and Jordan really delivers on it. Again, to connect with Jordan in the Art of Charm, subscribe to his top business podcast and find him at artofcharm.com. Before we resume, I want to tell you about a great service and a really interesting franchise. First, ZipRecruiter. If you are hiring, and I know a lot of you out there are, you need to know where to post your job to find the best candidates. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites with just one click. Their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you, it finds them. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, Ziggler listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ziprecruiter.com slash Ziggler. That's ziprecruiter.com slash Ziggler. Next is Goddard School. Have you ever thought about going into business for yourself, but were overwhelmed by the idea of doing it by yourself? I think that's most of us, actually. Well, operating a franchise gives you the best of both worlds, the freedom of owning your own business and the support and resources of an established, successful brand. The Goddard School is a premier franchise of private preschools and provides you the opportunity to own a recession-resistant business while making a positive impact on children and their families. There's an ever-increasing demand for high-quality preschools and child care. Having been a trusted name among parents and families for nearly 30 years, the Goddard School's proven educational approach ensures that children have fun while learning the skills they need for long-term success in school and in life. Children's daycare services earned a total of $47.8 billion in revenue in 2016 and are projected to earn $52.5 billion by 2021. When you become a Goddard School franchisee, you receive best in-class support from a team of knowledgeable professionals in marketing, advertising, finance, IT, and more. For more information or to apply to become a Goddard School franchisee, visit learnaboutgoddard.com, G-O-D-D-A-R-D. That's learnaboutgoddard.com. Recently on the show... We talked about this a little bit pre-show. We had an FBI agent on the show, which maybe where's the confusion came in, uh, Tom, earlier. Uh, he is a friend of mine, and he is the he's a senior FBI official who created the Behavioral Analysis Program, and he wrote a book called The Code of Trust. Uh, it's on. It's a recent episode of the Art of Charm podcast, okay. and this book is essentially his job is to recruit spies inside the United States and find spies from other countries inside the United States. And one of the things that he was talking about was the idea that we are developing trust. That's more important than literally anything else. There's all these fancy techniques for listening and eavesdropping. Da, da. It's about getting someone to know, like, and trust you. And that is really the key. And you're right. When people are insecure, we don't trust them. And it sounds harsh. It's like, mm -hmm. geez, they already feel bad about themselves. Why <laughs> you got to pile on there, right, Kevin? Right. Jeez. Right. But the reason is because 
if somebody's insecure, it shows up in their verbal and nonverbal communication. And then we see that and we we subconsciously perceive that, sometimes consciously, depending on how well trained we are. And we don't go, oh, well, you know, uh, Jim, he's a little insecure and it's showing up in his verbal and nonverbal communication. And that's why he's making me feel this way because that's showing up in the, what he's communicating. And I'm taking in some of that and mirroring some of that or whatever. And take, and that's making me feel this way, but that's because he's insecure. No, we just think weird vibe from that guy. Don't like it. Like other guy better. Where do I sign? That's what we're saying. It's animal brain stuff here. Yeah, uh, you know, when you say animal brain, I think lizard brain, I think Seth Godin. And his number one business goal is the scalability of trust. That's the only thing that he focuses on. Every transaction, every relationship is trust and proving. So I have a, uh, a quote that says, trust is the byproduct of integrity. And so here's kind of a deep philosophical question. Get your take on it. Whenever we exude trust, it comes out of integrity. Uh, and when we have a false belief, deep down inside, we know the way we're acting isn't the way it should be. And so we can't exude trust in the way that we should. We talked a little bit uh, about uh, why, what, and how. I, I get a lot of questions about, you know, I'm not sure if what I'm doing is the right thing. And it's really not what people are doing. It's why they're doing it. And when they connect the why when they say, ah, oh, that's the why, it makes them want to investigate the how, right? If it's real important to me, if I'm, if I'm concerned about selling uh, and asking somebody to do business because of my past, uh, people like that come across as pushy, yet I know that it's going to save them a lot of money. It's going to keep jobs in their organization. Families' lives are at stake. So my why is really big then that gives me the reason to go back and say, maybe it's time to change the how. <laughs> because when my competitor gets the business, everybody loses. Mm -hmm. yeah. what's, your, what's your take on that's kind of the deep circle, but we start with the why and that makes us want to investigate the how. I like that. I mean, look, that, that's a concept I'd probably have to read up on a little bit more, but I, I think I understand and can follow what you're saying here, which is, you really can't, it almost goes back to what Kevin was saying. You really can't just address the symptoms. Uh, it's impossible because then you're just playing whack-a-mole, if you remember that game, or maybe that yeah. was just a temporary Chuck E. Cheese. No, I love, that's that, a great game. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're on the same page. Here. Oh, yeah. When I use that analogy, I'm always wondering, does anybody under 35 have a clue no, what that, I'm that talking my, about right my now? My dad's or favorite just... carnival game of all time. Like the two times we ever went to a carnival, he was addicted to that game. He's a lifetime entrepreneur, man. And just, I mean, he just couldn't get enough. There's always a chance to do a little bit better. So yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. I'm just making sure. Yeah. Um, the whack-a-mole, the, the whack-a-mole of addressing the symptoms doesn't really work. And it's honestly, it's, it's actually harder because when you look at complex systems and I'm just going to bring it to a, a, a real simple example, when you look at more complex systems like nonverbal communication, you cannot micromanage your eye contact, your posture, what you're doing with your hands, uh, the tension that you're carrying in your shoulders and your hips, the rate of your speech. It's very hard slash actually just impossible to micromanage all of those things and also be present in a conversation at the same time. What you can do, though, is figure out what sort of mindset do I need to be relaxed when I'm interacting in this particular situation? I'm at a sales presentation 
what do I need to do to prepare and then also be relaxed at having facing an outcome that says like, all right, I'm probably going to get this. I deserve to get this. I've put in the groundwork for these relationships. I'm among friends right now. The decision makers and I have personal and business relationships, so I don't have to worry about their judgment that much here. That might be an easier mindset to cultivate than look at their eye for 10 seconds. Make sure you're standing up straight though. Oops, your hips are too stiff. Wait, relax your shoulders. Uh, What was I saying? There's a chart behind me. How long have I been talking to myself and not talking to them. It's impossible to do that. It's much easier to have the mindset in place. So you really do have to have not just the why, but the, well, I guess you would call that the why, right? That's really just, this is your overarching mindset. This is the concept that you've got in your head. This is the concept that you, quote unquote, know is true and you feel it in your, it's coming through your verbal and nonverbal communication. You don't have to think about it. That's That's a massively powerful Arsenal. And when, when we train special forces guys, I think this is a SEAL thing or just a spec, spec ops thing in general. It's You never rise to the level of your expectation. You always default to the level of your training. So there's a certain wow. type of person that says, I've read every Zig Ziglar book. I know it all. And then they go there and they just freeze and they can't do anything. Or you're thinking, wow, are you sure you've read any of those books? Because you're kind of the opposite of everything that we're talking about here. And the reason is because they might have book or academic knowledge of it, but they didn't really drill in the reason why you help other people get what they want. Oh, I help other people get what they want because then secretly I'm going to get what I want. Oh, I'm not getting what I want. I hate everyone right now. All right, that's going to show up in the interaction. You have to really mean that you're not going to ask for anything in return and keep score. And I'm sure you've seen this before. And I get, I bet you get this question all the time. Something like, okay, I've been helping other people get what they want and I'm never getting what I want. It's starting to piss me off. When do I get what I want? You know, and it's like, uh, no, the whole idea is you really have to be cool helping 100 people and having 99 of them be like, thanks, bro, and never talking to you again, right? I, That's I, how it I'm works. Gonna, I'm going to pull a couple skits out of this with like little meme videos of you because it's just, it's just priceless. Um, I, I love that quote though, man. I'm, did I get this right? Don't rise to the, you won't rise to the level of your expectation. You'll fall to the level of your training. That's, right. that's a big deal. That's profound. It is. Um, yeah. It's a, you default to the level of your training because, and, and just think about it like this. If you have trouble remembering the concept, it's how good of a fighter did you think when you were, when you were 20 and how good of a fighter do you think you actually were right. when you were 20? Right. And the right. answer is you thought if anything happens, I'm going to remember that Chuck Norris movie and it's going to be all good. <laughs> no, what's going to happen is you're going to get lucky if you get choked out and you don't wake up with your jaw wired shut. That's uh, what's going to really happen. I like it. I do have a question. Uh, the FBI agent, he's recruiting trust experts. He, mm-hmm. he has to have tried to recruit you as a spy. Come on. This is the master. I, I mean, right look, he, he works for the FBI. I don't know if he's allowed to recruit, you know, entry level positions. Yeah. I think I probably would have to fill out the, what I assume is now an online application <laughs> to work there. Um, <laughs> but truth be told, I don't think I could get in because I think one of the questions on there is list all the bad things that you've done. And there's just not enough paper in the state of California. Right, right, right for me to fill out all of the transgressions for them to investigate. Got it. So, got it. Well, hey, so on this, and I know that this is, forgive me for, uh, there's no way to simplify this, but if you're as the Jordan Harbinger, Art of Charm, Sensei for social intelligence, and you get a group of guys right off the bat, and let's say, it's, you know, I know your events go on, but if you just got a one shot, let's, and let's say specifically men in this scenario, you got them in a room, where do you start? 
I, I know this is, this is uh, social intelligence 101. I mean, I'm kind of wondering where the pulse is. Like, where are we as a culture? Where do you find us the most blind and unaware in these areas? Yeah. You know what? We, we've experimented, as you might imagine, with the starting point over the years quite a bit. What's funny is we used to do this on like the fourth day of boot camp. Now we do it on the first day of boot camp, and it's video work where we videotape people in our students interacting with our instructors and we have male and female instructors. And it's funny because the students will come in and they'll, there's everyone comes in with an idea. Speaking of how good of a fighter you think you are, everyone comes in with an idea of where they think they fall in the social scale. And some people come in and they're like, I'm not good at this. I'm not a people person. You know, I'm a computer programmer or a sales engineer. I'm just not really, or an engineer. Maybe I'm just not really up there. And other people come in and they go, look, I'm pretty darn good at all this stuff. I'm looking for an edge. And both of those might be valid. But what we find through video work is that the tape doesn't lie, right? That's why people videotape things in the first place. And so when we have people go through these simple drills and we, we coach them when we watch the tape on body language, nonverbal communication, we really don't even care about most of the other things. The purpose of the video work is to, if you're coming in with a big old inflated uh, perception of how well you do with this, it'll knock you down a peg. Because if you come in and you think, I know I looked relaxed and I was smiling and having fun, and you look at the tape and it looks like, hey, um, did you, did you, are you wearing clean underwear today? Like, what's the problem over here, buddy? You look a little uncomfortable, so to speak. They see that and they go, oh my gosh, I must look like that every time that I think I look like this image I have in my head. And then the other people that come in and think, I don't know, I'm a nervous wreck or, or, or maybe they just come in and go, I don't know. I have no idea how I'm perceived and that's why I'm here. They look at the tape and they go, okay, it's not what I want. It's like hearing my voice on an answering machine for the first time. I'm not thrilled about it, but it's not the end of the world. I don't look like Jabba the Hutt just rolled out of bed. So, you know, I can work on this. And then for the rest of the day, and then of course, for the rest of boot camp. We're working on these verbal and nonverbal first impressions and communication. And so then, and we're also videotaping this. So you can see if you're feeling like you can't learn it, you watch yourself improve in real time on the tape. And if you feel like you're just so great at all this stuff, you can see yourself uh, really get knocked down a peg and then rebuild from the ground up during that time. So to answer your question, I really think that what we're starting from, there's no, there, there's a lot of common ground and there's not a lot of common ground at the same time, depending on what angle we're looking at. But really what we're looking for is we have to get rid of the ego. Because like I said, we used to do these drills on day four and we realized, oh my God, nobody listened for the first three days. Because all the people that came in and thought they couldn't do it, believed it up until today. And they were sort of putting all this stuff in the back of their head for someday, maybe I'll get good enough to apply this. And all the people who thought they were great at this, let it all go in one ear and out the other because they thought, I don't need this. I'm already, uh, this is all basic, right? So we had to go, let's put the final exam in the front. And then when everybody takes it, we really, it's like the widow maker. You just find out, <laughs> oh, okay, that's where I'm at with this. And it, it's like boot camp yeah. in the military. They don't come in and go, look, you guys are really smart. You went to college. You're, you're an officer. We don't have to put you through the grinder. They go, oh, you think that college is hard? Hang on a second. Hold my beer and go swim, you know, eight miles in the surf with, uh, you know, some lead bags tied to you. I don't even know what they do in, in half of the military training. So, it, But these guys, the, the top athletes come out pretty humble, right? And the guys that come in thinking that they've been playing video games and they're probably going to get chewed up, 
they look pretty confident. It, it turns you into a different person, which is why we call uh, what we do at AOC boot camp, even though it's six days instead of six months. Yeah, this what you talk about just happened with me. I went down to Dallas Ziegler headquarters and went to the Ziegler Legacy Certification Course, and so I think it was day one, Tom, uh, that you guys do this. To, say, you know, say get up there and talk about a recent event or a I don't know. They give you a topic or something like that, so you get up there and just tell everybody. And I, I mean, I've been I. I, I was the ego. Okay. I was I'm a great speaker. Absolutely. I'm going to kill this. Yeah. You know, I got a great, right? po- yeah. I, and so I get up there and, and I do my thing. I don't think much about it. And I go sit down everybody goes through the thing. And then I didn't know I should have, they pull up the video camera. <sighs> Nothing needed to be said when my video came up from the first frame. I'm going, Oh my gosh, I'm such an embarrassed. <laughs> They're going to, I'm, I'm never going to host the show again. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it really did. All right. I got, I got a question for you. Uh, you know what? Lightning round. You ready, Jordan? Sure. I'm going to put you on the spot. Well, actually, I have one quick question for Tom yes. first, if I can. Yes. It, do, do you ever, as as a Ziggler, get kind of sick of hearing, you know, you got to help other people get what they want. You got to do that. Do you ever just like, I want what I want now because I'm a kid. I don't care about how many books you've written. I'm sick of this. I just want to be, you know, a normal, selfish person for a second or <laughs> I mean, did you ever just go, okay, you know, anyone else, please be the influence that I'm dealing with right now. It, it must at some point have gotten just like a little bit too much. Well, I tell you what I was, uh, you know, I'm sure there was a couple of times when I got annoyed, like when we would leave an event, it would take two and a half hours to get from the hotel lobby to the car. Sure. Right. So, you know, I could see myself getting a little annoyed, but here's the reality is that when people would come up to dad and they'd say, hey, you know, what's going on or what's it like being a Ziggler? They would then tell me or they would tell dad how his material changed their life. And I don't I don't know. But, you know, if you're on a plane somewhere and and somebody says, what do you do? And they're like, oh, I listen to that. And they start telling you the story about how that doesn't get old. No, that never gets old when somebody's eyes light up and they say, man, I got a promotion or you know, I found my spouse or, you know, my relationships with my team are so much better because of this and this, you hear those kind of things and you'd never get tired of that. Um, you know, sometimes the weight gets heavy, uh, because the standard is so high. And then I just have to put a zig quote in my mind because he told me, he said, he said, he told me early on, he said, son, whatever you do, I'm going to be behind. I don't care what you do. Just do it with integrity and effort. 100% integrity, 100% effort. So he kind of embedded in my thought process not to even get overwhelmed by trying to fill shoes or do something that was outside of, you know, what my gifts are because everybody's gifts are completely different. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but. I don't know what I was looking for. I was just curious because I feel like no matter what, you know. I'd be like, dad, we tee off in 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, That would be my, come on, come on, come on, you know, and. And, uh, but you know, people were so gracious. What I don't understand is movie stars, celebrities, people who are famous for being famous. The interruptions they get on their life that are rude just because I want an autograph and a selfie. Yeah. I, mean, I can see people getting tired of that. That would get old. That would get really old. I, I'm obviously just a podcast. I'm not famous by any measure. And even I'm like, okay, you know, if you want to take a picture, just take it while we're, I don't want to take 80 of these. And I, but I try to be really grateful for it because there's a reason that they're doing that. It's really nice to have that. But imagine that happening times a hundred just when you're at your key with your kid at Chipotle or something. 
you know, just drive you crazy. Yeah, I could tell you all about that, but I haven't experienced it. Um, yeah, so say, tell, tell us, Kevin, how you deal with all yeah, that. Yeah, attention. I will someday, someday. So here, I got a quick lightning round for you. Just back on this aspect. I'm always aware of, I mean, I want to know what I don't know. It's always the most dangerous thing in our lives is, is, is we don't know what we don't know. And that's usually where the danger lies. So I'm, I'm asking for a quick lightning round word or a statement on where we, you see people most uh, socially blind. And I'm just going to be kind of broad and say, generally with guys, let's go gender. So generally sure. guys, if you got to give a word or statement, where are we generally the most blind? I think a lot of us, we have conversations with ourselves in our head. And this goes actually probably for everyone, but I know for guys, especially we're, we tend to be a little bit more sort of linear processors or more functional processors. So we'll say something like, and this might even just be for engineering minded guys, We'll be having a conversation in our head while we're reading an email or even in real, in real time. And when we answer it, we're only answering or verbalizing the part that we think is important. And I notice this happens all the time with, uh, when I'm communicating with people who work for startups or companies like Apple and Google. You'll write them and you'll say, Hi, Tom and Kevin. Hope this email finds you well. Really enjoyed the opportunity to communicate with you on the Ziegler show. Da, 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 and I'll write all this stuff. And then I'll say, was wondering when the show comes out and then someone will reply July 24th. Yes. And you just go, yes. Wow. Well, excuse me. But meanwhile, in your head, you were like, Oh, Hey, Hey Jordan, how you doing? All right. Good to hear from you. Yeah, we are doing well. Oh man, that was a fun July 24th send. Right. And then all at all I hear is July 24th. And I'm thinking, well, all right, then I guess I, well, guess we're not friends anymore. You know, and that, that happens all the time. And I catch myself doing that. And it, it's probably not just guys, but I'll tell you right now, I get that email from guys a heck of a lot more than I get it from the ladies. They're, they're much more aware of how they're being perceived. Okay. Just so jump right there now. So blindness, social blindness, uh, ladies, where do you see it? Where do you see it manifest? Most? Um, a lot of, and this is, it's hard to say something like this without sounding like I'm just stereotyping a whole gender. And, and so I'm going to caveat this with a lot of women instead of just yes. women. Uh, and a lot of guys for that matter as well. But I think a lot of, uh, since women are so much better at perceiving others' emotions, that we they'll tend to think that everyone thinks like them, especially guys. So they'll think, well, I to me, it was very clear that Jordan was feeling this way, Kevin and Tom were feeling that way. And so when we are then talking with, let's say my wife, Jen, she might be really annoyed that we're not perceiving her feelings at all. And it's not because we don't care. That's kind of what maybe she's thinking. And we don't, we don't care. Or we're ignoring it, but really we're just clueless, right? Well, if you just pay attention, I'm paying attention to a lot of things, but obviously they're all the wrong channels, right? I'm paying attention to nine out of 10 channels, but it's not the one where you're communicating and I'm missing everything. And this happens all the time from dating to business. And I'll give you an example real quick. I remember be, when I was younger, I was just like, oh man, it's so hard. You know, women are so confusing. I don't really understand it. I'm in college. And then I was finally venting to one of my female friends about how I just, you know, I couldn't get any women interested in me. And she goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you know, I just, they're just always getting ignored. And she goes, oh, I see. Remember uh, last week when Megan asked you to study with her? And I said, yeah. And, and she goes, 
And I said, yeah, well, you know, she wanted me to go over with the whole group. And I know it's just because I understand the material better. And she goes, and remember the other day when that girl dropped a pencil like three times and she had to walk over near you to get it? And I go, yeah. Remember that time that girl spelt water all over your back at the bar during the law school bar night? Yeah. Remember when that girl came up and ate your nachos? And it was just one thing after another. And I thought, oh, really? That was it? Because women think I'm being so obvious. Do I have to punch you in the face for you to wake up and get the message? And us guys are like, oh, yeah, she's really clumsy. Every time she walks by me, she steps on my foot and spills water and then she'll fall over and eat my nachos. Man, you know, I just wish she would pay attention to me. It just makes no sense. They think they're being obvious. Meanwhile, we're just tuning all of that stuff out. And it's kind of pathetic, really, looking back on it. I could have Things could have turned out quite differently <laughs> for me in a lot of ways, especially in college, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my uh, questions that from my wife, God bless her, that I cringe at the most is, hey, honey, do you remember? Because I know chances are probably 30% that I would remember that. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we may have a, a, an ensuing, yeah, I was insensitive. I, I, you can't remember that? How on earth? All right. Lightning round. I'm going to go to the next one. Blind spot. Millennials. Blind spot millennials. Millennials are it's it's interesting because they're they're like the favorite target. Millennials are are toler so tolerant. They're so tolerant. The only thing they're intolerant of is intolerance, if I can put it that way. I know that sounds a little weird, but no, it's brilliant. Millennials are like, that's unfair. I gotta light it something on fire now. Or or or, <laughs> or at least be vocal about it. Maybe maybe not the fire thing. And that's that's interesting because what they what they think, what we think, I guess I should include myself in that, is that everybody else is just an unfair jerk face and how dare they. But really, we're just focused on different things because since millennials have the ability to worry about things that the older generations, Gen X, really wasn't focused on, we're focused on different things. It doesn't mean that one generation is more fair or less fair than the next. It really has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what we're focused on. And I think it's easy for Gen X and, frankly, millennials to think, well, one, one of these sides is entitled. Oh, the other side, they're just, they're just so self-centered and focused on their own or they don't care about fairness. So millennials, I think, really have to think about what the older generation has had to focus on. And then it's much easier to realize, oh, okay, it's not that they're ignoring me or thinking that what I think is important is not important. It's just that this wasn't a concern when they were coming of age. And so they're not focused on it and they, they continue to not be, you know, we're, we're growing up in, in a generation that is far less economic and career security than Gen X does. And so we're, we're switching jobs all the time and to Gen X, it looks like we're irresponsible and fickle and we can't make up our mind. And to us, we're thinking, why would I stay in the same job for 30 years? That doesn't even make any sense. The only person I know who did that is my dad or my grandpa. So I think that for millennials, that blind spot is not really putting ourselves in someone else's shoes, but that blind spot is quite universal. Interesting. All right. Last one. You ready? Blind spot, Donald Trump. Blind spot that that Donald Trump has. (laughs) I didn't know if I could say that seriously or not. Uh, yeah, yeah. It would not be interesting. Come on. You're the sensei here. Blind spot. You got to influence him. A blind spot I think that he has is... And I don't even know if this is a blind spot. I think there's some impulse control problems. And I I don't have any, I don't want to comment on anything politically either way. But when you're looking at somebody who has managed to get 
the, the, a lot of people in America to rally behind him when really, in theory, that was a very long shot and probably wouldn't have happened under other circumstances and another candidate could have taken it. He's kind of like blowing a lot of the alliances that he should have, even in his own side of the fence. And if you're fighting this crazy uphill battle, you would think that when you've got people rallying around you that you would capitalize on that. But really, it seems to be that he's favoring, he's still playing election game when he should be playing more, I hate to say somebody should be playing more politics now, but play the game at Washington. You don't have to impress our, the, 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 the populace that much anymore. You're already in office. Focus on getting guys on your side and women on your side, for that matter, so you can get some laws passed and get some stuff done instead of just pissing everyone off. And um, I guess in a way that could be a strength and a weakness because it's nice to have some fresh ideas over there, but it's also tough when you're just shooting yourself in the foot every single time you get a chance. So Interesting. Thank you. No, that's, yeah. that's, that's great. Um, I got a couple things to end with, and it really comes off of your website. It's just focal points. And it was out of your Art of Charm 30-Day Transformation. Okay. And, and, and folks, again, you know, listen to the – you got to go tune into the show. Uh, the Art of Charm is one of the biggest, best podcasts out there. Uh, well, period. But, all you know, in personal development, it's right at the top. Go listen to that. I mean, the stuff that you guys go through really, you know, goes through all the threads of everything we're talking here. But at your business – uh, where you bring people in and really work on their transformation. I just pulled a couple things out that I wanted to hit on real quick. You had uh, develop how to automatically have more respect from your friends, team, and network. And I thought, is there anyone in the world who does not want that? That's got to be up there with having a million bucks show up in your bank the next morning. <laughs> I mean, of a value to your life. And, you know, what is the route there that you're, that people can hit on right now? Again, we're talking blind spots, but they want respect. They want to have influence. They want to be heard and understood. And a, a root of that, that you're going to get to give us kind of the foundation of respect, gaining it from others. Sure. So this is kind of a, a, a Ziegler concept that we've implemented strongly here at the Art of Charm, which is one of the ways that people gain respect among their personal and professional networks so sort of overarching concept is really looking at what you can do for other people and then systemizing the way that you do those things for other people so there's a lot of sort of success quotes and things like that out there that are help other people without the expectation of anything in return or help other people get what they want and then you'll get what you want and that's awesome stuff the problem is a lot of people put it on a poster on their wall and that's as far as they ever go towards application of that particular idea and so what we do in the challenge, the 30-day challenge, and a lot of what we do at AOC and our live programs and things like that is we talk about, okay, I've got to figure out how to take stock of what's in my network, the people and what they do, their needs their, and what they have to offer, figure out then systemize, systemize ideas and ways in which I can connect them to other people in my network who might need what they have to offer, and then create a routine where every day I connect one person in my network to somebody else in my network. And this is just an example. There's many things like this. But if I meet somebody and they're uh, a marketer for books, well, I'm not writing a book, so I don't care. And that's what a lot of people think. They go, oh, interesting, whatever. I'm not writing a book and I don't care. But if I know that person and then I know that my other friend is writing a book, somehow it's lost on a lot of folks to have that habit built in where I say, you should talk to my friend who's writing a book and you should get in touch. Now I've helped two parties potentially, right? And that's a really obvious, easy example. 
However, if you systemize this and you're, you've developed a method of, of thinking about this, you've created systems in your own life where you're always looking to introduce people to one another and you're using things like the double opt-in introduction where I might ask one party if it's okay to introduce them to somebody else and I get their approval from both before making the introduction. Things like that to make sure that you don't embarrass yourself or someone else and ways that you can use things like social media, social networks, the, the list of text messages that you have on your phone to routinely keep in contact and maintain your network. Those are the kind of things that most people never bother doing and, and that are super important. Because if I reach out to you and I haven't talked to you in three years and suddenly I want something, that's kind of crummy. Mm-hmm. But if I reach out to you every few months and I just say hello or I make an introduction every second quarter and then I reach out and I say, hey, look, I'm actually selling a book pretty soon. Do you think you can help? It's a completely different type of interaction and a completely different ask. And yet, what, I spent five minutes over the last uh, year maintaining that relationship? It's a no-brainer. The problem is there aren't systems in place and there aren't mindsets around it. So those are the kinds of things we build in both the challenge and in social capital which comes product, back to the, like the training that we talked about, which, which is incredible. You say something and a Tom, I'm going to ask for your help on this one. Cause I'm going to, I want to, I want to wrap on this. This is a, this is a big issue here. Uh, you talk about, you know, creating and maintaining better relationships. I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a Holy grail right there. That's a big right. one. And I want to, I want to ask you for your uh, take on, it's a Zig story that he tells and we get the idea and I've told it to my kids. I've used it as a reference point, but he didn't really go into the nuances of, okay, how do you be that kind of person? So Tom, um, if you know this story better than I do, will you uh, tell it? He tells a story about, I think it was a lady who was at this VIP dinner sitting between two prime ministers. You tracking with me yet? Um, sitting between two, two prime ministers. And afterwards she's asked, and I think this is a true story. She was asked, what did you think of them? Uh, I don't remember the names, but um, the first person she didn't like at all because he only talked about himself. And the other person she loved because he only talked about her. I think that's the story that you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, it was. It was the essence of, you know, she came away feeling like the person on their right. Well, they, they're brilliant. They've achieved a lot. Hugely successful. Um, you know, massive success story. And that's what I came away with. The other person, I came away feeling like I was massively successful. I oh, was a high achiever. I know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah? Okay. This is Benjamin Disraeli. Thank and you. He yeah. goes, that's it. It was a woman, and I can't remember who it was. Yep. She goes out to lunch with them. Or she said, I went out to lunch with such and such famous person and I felt like he was the most interesting person in all of Britain. And then I went out with, I think it was Benjamin Disraeli. And then she said, and then I felt like I was the most interesting Thank person you. in all of Britain. That's there what you're you talking about, right? Okay, that's it. I love the story. I love the concept. I've used it badly, obviously, since I don't know the details of the story. I need to go brush up on it. But um, that aspect, how do you give us a little bit on, on somebody who hears that and goes, yeah, yeah, that's great. I want somebody to come away feeling like they are a rock star because the social value of that social capital is gargantuan. Where do I start on that? Because you can also do it wrong. Sure. Actually, there's a technique we have for this. And I don't know if this is something you are efficient for or yeah, if it's yeah, just please. a good coincidence. But uh, was that? Please. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's defect. Uh, sorry, deflect. Uh, defect is something that you do when you're from North Korea. <laughs> right. It's deflect, defer, <laughs> disclose. And this is essentially a way for you to redirect conversational 
energy, time, topics, whatever, resources towards somebody else. So the problem that I have and that you guys may have uh, is someone will say, I'll say, hey, so what are you doing here? Oh, I'm here for my consulting business. What do you do? And I go, oh, I'm a talk show host. And they go, oh, well, I have, who's your most interesting guest? And I realize I'm, and then I go down this thing where I'm talking a lot. And that happens in groups of people who, for example, a bunch of lawyer friends of mine, because again, I used to be an attorney, they're all lawyers. And then they go, what are you doing? And then they're, I talk for an hour and then everybody goes home and I go, oh, oops. Right. So (laughs) deflect, defer and disclose. So I might say something like, what, what do you do? And then they'll talk and they'll, they'll say, what do you do? And I'll say, uh, I, I'm a talk show host, but I'm more interested right now in what projects you're working on because you said you do water resource management. Oh yeah. Well, da, 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 da. and then they'll say, but tell me about being a talk show host. And I might say, yeah, I'd love to, but I want to hear what Mike has to say. We haven't heard a lot from Mike and I feel like we're monopolizing the, monopolizing the conversation. So deflect is bring it back to them. They go, what do you do? And you go, punk, and you, you hit the ball back over the net. And then they go, what about you? And they hit the ball back over the net to you and you hit it to someone else and you go, actually, why don't we hear from this person? And that's defer. And then if they're both talking and then it finally comes back to you and they go, tell us about this talk show thing already. And you go, all right, fine. And then you go into it a little bit and you rinse and repeat because otherwise somebody will pass you the ball and you'll go, great, I got the ball now and you'll put it in your pocket and then you'll just hold court for an hour. And like I said, then everybody you know has their dessert and goes home. And they might have been really interested in that conversation, but they might also go, wow, that guy likes to hear himself talk. Mm-hmm. Or even if they were really interested in the conversation, you might leave going, I have no idea what any, I don't even know who those people are. I talked to them about, I have no, what did we, why did I even go to this dinner? I don't know anything about these people. And that's a problem. So deflect, defer, and disclose. So it's kind of like, bounce it back to them, bounce it to somebody else or back to them, and then finally you give up the goods and you just keep doing that. And it minimizes your participation in a way in the conversation in a way that's not cagey. Well, yeah, I hear it. And from a strategy standpoint, understand it, but you're talking about some serious discipline. I mean, that's like, I'm thinking about Thanksgiving and we got turkey and gravy and stuffing over here. And yet in my family, you're also going to have, you know, the nut loaf for the vegans and Mm. nobody wants the nut loaf. Uh, you want this over here. When somebody asks you, what do you do? Talk shows. Oh my gosh, tell me more. I mean, human nature wants nothing more than to talk about ourselves. I mean, you're talking about a big deal here for somebody to really embrace and take the focus off of ourselves and come away and not having gotten that dopamine, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you're right. You really do have to let go of, you've got to let go of the ego kick that you get from going, all right, let me tell you all about what I'm doing. Because if you secretly really want to talk about your business and you're not thinking about defer or yourself, and you're not thinking about deflect, defer, and disclose, you are going to run into a problem where you go, it's just too tempting for me to sit here and talk to everybody about this, especially if, man, if you're a new author and you got your book or you're a new podcaster, you're running a new, a new business, it's all you can probably talk about anyway. And man, there's going to be a time where you just you just can't shut yourself up. So if you remember deflect, defer, and disclose, and you remember that you're doing this because it's going to help you long-term, you have to be prepared to give up that short-term dopamine hit of blabbing on about yourself nonstop. And it can be tough. It does, like you say, require discipline. But if you remember deflect, defer, and disclose, 
you might catch yourself yammering on. And it's fine to go at mid-sentence. You know, I, I actually, I realize I'm talking a lot about this, but I realize I haven't heard a lot from Kevin. And then there's that deferral or that deflection. It's fine to do that. In fact, it's natural to do that. And then eventually, take it from me, you, you're in business for 10 years and no matter how exciting you, you're, what it is you're doing, you're going to want to deflect, defer, and disclose unless you, unless you feel like talking about yourself. But after a while, I guarantee you, unless you're just an egomaniac, no matter what your business is, it's going to get old. Man, I love it. I just typed it into my, I text myself messages I want to talk to my kids about. So we're going to talk about this at the dinner table. All right. Last question. You ready? Yes. I don't know anybody on the planet who's better primed for a book than you. When, when are we going to see it? I actually just signed a deal with, um, I don't think it's a secret. I think I just signed a deal with CAA to represent me and my, and our company, the art of charm. So it's not just me it's me, AJ and Johnny. We just signed that. But I mean, what does that mean? Now we get to talk about a proposal. So I'm guessing 2019 <laughs> Okay. available for pre-order in maybe a year. <laughs> All right. I, I want the book, bottom line. That's why I asked. I'm, I'm a reader. I know I, I host the podcast, but I have auditory problems. I love to read. I want the book because again, man, since, I mean, when was Tom Art or uh, the, the um, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People? It's got to be what? 40s, 30s? 1938, I think. There you go. Yeah. All right. We need, so, we need it. I should just wait till 2038 and make it an even hundred years before we release the update. <laughs> oh. At this rate, though, that might be closer to when you're going to see the book. That might. That might. Man, uh, thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It is drastically needed. This is the place that I send people to for these skills, these soft skills that are the hardest currency that we have. Thank you for doing what you do. Um, uh, it's a gift and thanks for taking your time and sharing your heart with us, Jordan. Th thanks for the opportunity. I love talking with you guys. You guys are running a good shop here and it's just a cool brand. And, uh, I know that every time we do this, we have fun and we get a lot of cool feedback and some slightly angry feedback because of my potty mouth in earlier shows, but that's hey, okay. I've changed my ways. <laughs> Got it. You've raised your game. Well, I want to encourage our listeners to, uh, stalk you like I stalk you, uh, we were talking on the pre-show. I listened to some of the podcasts. I gave my daughter one and asked her to do a PowerPoint presentation off of it. Which one? I, it was it was the uh, the expert on the fear. On oh, the gift of fear. That's what, every daughter needs to listen to this because it's right. basically like really. I, it's all I, half of the stories in that book are this is how a woman didn't get killed or didn't get sexually assaulted or you know something right. along those lines. So, for all our listeners who were like, what, what? The Gift of Fear, this podcast, my daughter is 22, and I wanted her to really listen to her intuition, to really have her radar up. And I was trying to think, how can dad sneak this into her? And I thought I could use this information in one of the webinars that I do. So I had her listen to it, That's awesome. make, a, make a PowerPoint for me, and I paid her for it. So nice, uh, just a great thing. So when I say I'm a stalker, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but that one, I think the, one of the reasons your show is so popular is because people pass it on. It's, it's viral. Yeah. Right? yeah. I appreciate that. I got a lot of feedback, especially from the female audience, but I'll tell you, it's just as important for guys. I just think a lot of guys don't think about their personal safety nearly as much as women do. And, um, there's not really a good reason to not do that. We're just not evolved to do that as much, but, uh, I think that episode itself was really, and like I said, it took me over well over a year to get Gavin DeBecker um, in that episode. In fact, before we 
before we go here, I'm literally going to look up that episode number for you uh, because I want people to be able to find it. Maybe you can link it in the show notes. It's Absolutely. episode 579, 579 of The Art of Charm, and it's Gavin DeBecker, The Gift of Fear. And uh, I can, is there a chat in here? There is. I'll put the link right here, right and here. you guys can share that if, if you're so inclined. Absolutely. Actually. Absolutely, man. Yeah, thank you. I, be- I've- because I really think this podcast... Look, we do a lot of interesting shows, I'd like to think, but this is one of a few that could literally save someone's life. And that's kind of, that's important. That's worth a listen. Got it. it. I got it. Well, hey, now you have another thing to use in your personal branding. Jordan Harbinger dash stalked by Tom Ziegler. That's right. (laughs) Beautiful. That is beautiful. All right, man. Thank you, Tom. Always a gift to do this with you. Jordan, thank you. Can't wait to get this out to everybody. Uh, What a gift. Great. Thanks, guys. All right. Friends, I trust you got great value from this show. Things to take action on. Go find The Art of Charm now wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. Then also, go to artofcharm.com to get involved with Jordan and increase your social capital. And again, let us know you got value, please, by leaving a review in iTunes. Coming up next is show 490, where we take you behind the scenes with Jordan and walk through the Ziggler Wheel of Life and the Seven Spokes of Success and hear what Jordan's habits are, where he's strong and where he struggles. Really interesting show, folks. Thanks again for tuning in and inspiring our true performance together. Mm